Trek Geeks is proud to have Fansets as its presenting sponsor. Fansets is the place for amazing pin collectibles with over 200 officially licensed Star Trek pins and new releases every month. Stay tuned for a special discount code good on your next order at fansets.com just for Trek Geeks listeners. Fansets, our pins have character. Hi, this is Nana Visitor, Major Kira Norris from Deep Space Nine, and you are listening to the biggest little show this side of the Gamma Quadrant, the Trek Geeks Podcast with Bill Smith and Dan Davidson. remote outpost where we're stranded due to a duonetic field. It's the biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant and the flagship of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. Greetings, ladies, gentlemen, children of all ages. Welcome to the Trek Geeks Podcast. In episode number 207, we are glad to be here. Thank you so much for downloading and listening. We hope that uh, you you make it to episode number 208 because I'm about to introduce my co-host and, well... He pretty much bores the the ever love and life out of every single person. So, if you decide to bail at this point, I, I would understand. But I'd hope you come back and listen to me at least. He's the monotonous Dan Davidson. Dan, welcome aboard, buddy. I'm sorry we're stranded here on this planet with uh, none of our electronics working. How could we be podcasting if that were the case? We're using uh, tin cans and string. Oh, all right. Well, okay. Well, that works. Well, hey, it's good to be here, buddy. Thanks for that wonderful introduction of. Yours, uh, I appreciate mine. it. Yeah, it's good, it's good to be here as always. Two hundred and seven. Goodness gracious, that's one more than last week when you think about it. You, you know, math is a skill that it takes years to hone, and you have done it. Math is not hard. Math is I'm, not hard. I'm telling you, it's great to be here. We always loved sitting down uh, once a week to talk about our favorite thing, which is Star Trek. And this week, we're going to talk about something that you and I have differing opinions on. I think, and uh, it should be quite a fun conversation. And I, I talk about, of course. The season two classic episode of Deep Space Nine, Paradise. Oh, the way you said that almost yeah. sounded very paradisical. Paradisical? Paradisal? Paravindiesels? No. <laughs> no, I don't uh, Yeah, it, it's, it's really interesting. It's not very often that we run into an episode like this. And I, I saw it uh, last week, I think it was on BBC America, or two weeks ago. And I said, I really want to talk about this episode because I think there's a lot here. And you're like, what? Paradise? That episode sucks. <laughs> I think I'm, that's pretty much what I said. I think it's pretty close to it. Yeah. Um, but then you went back and rewatched it, and I'm sure that it didn't necessarily change your opinions, but we'll get into that a little later. But um, I, I think there's a lot to mine from this episode. There is. Yeah. Perhaps stuff that I didn't necessarily realize at first, but like some Star Trek episodes, I think it's evolved maybe to highlight something different in today's society. And I think that's what we'll talk about. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I remember that when I first saw it and, and maybe times in the past when I watched it, I really didn't have a really strong grasp of it. I didn't really care for it. I thought it was kind of boring. But 
watching it again in preparation for this recording, uh, I've got a much different view on it. Doesn't necessarily mean I loved it, but uh, there were there are some very uh, interesting parts to the episode, which I'm looking forward to talking about. Well, same here, mon frere. Um, if you would, I think there are other people who may want to talk about this episode after we do. How might they do that with us? It is paradise here on the Trek Geeks Network whenever we record, isn't it, buddy? Oh, it's it's a veritable... Uh uh, heaven on yeah, earth. It uh, really yeah. is. Anyway, um, if you're looking to get in touch with us, you can head right on over to trekgeeks.com slash contact, and there you will find a plethora of ways to communicate with your two favorite geeks. Let's see, there's Skype chat, there's email, there's voicemail by way of that big giant blue button using SpeakPipe. Whatever way you want to contact us, just make it so, because we love hearing from you. Plus, there's also the most positive Star Trek group on Facebook, Camp Kittimer. It's our official group, and it's where over 1,600 friends gather to talk all things Trek. It's always positive, and we never allow any bashing or gatekeeping. To join the group, just head on over to facebook.com slash groups slash Camp Kittimer and be ready to be part of a truly wonderful social experience. And as always, thank you to our wonderful admins, Haley, Jackie, Sarah, and Dan, for the amazing job they run. They do running the camp. I almost made it through. You almost did. Damn. Yes. Anyway. Well, there's always next week. See, now I'm just bored. I'm just going to say that remember that any comments or messages you leave us in any of these places might be used in a future episode. So if you want to say something, just keep that in mind. Back to you, Bill. Wow. Thanks yeah. for uh, thanks for giving it your all this week. It's not paradise. I'll tell you that. <laughs> uh, it never is with you. It never is. <laughs> Dan, we want to remind people that coming up Sunday, April 26th in downtown Concord, New Hampshire, the state capital of the ninth state of the union, is uh, Trek Geeks Live, our very first foray into live podcast recording. But it's not just a live podcast recording. No, no. Um, act one is a bit of a, a presentation. You and I talking about why Star Trek matters uh, now more than ever. Part two is the live podcast recording. Where we're going to talk about some of the most socially conscious episodes of Star Trek throughout Star Trek's history. And then to sort of wrap it up, we have a little, um, a little cherry on top of the Sunday, if you will. So that's a Sunday, April 26th at the Bank of New Hampshire stage, downtown Concord, New Hampshire, right on Main Street. Tickets available at trekgeekslive.com. They are $10 at the uh, $10 in advance or $12 at the door and all proceeds are going to benefit the 501c3 organization Granite State Dog Recovery, an all-volunteer group that uh, helps reunite lost dogs with their humans and uh, it's something that Dan and I are very passionate about. Right, Dan? Um, an amazing, amazing uh, um proceeds uh for this. It, it makes it all worthwhile. Um, I better start working on my notes for these socially uh uh, extensive Star Trek episodes. So. That might be good because it's coming up in just over yeah. two months. I realized that today when I was looking over some notes. I was like, oh bleep, I better get going on that. <laughs> <laughs> That's trekgeekslive.com. Uh, please check it out. If for no other reason than to help support Granite State Dog Recovery, they're an all-volunteer group. They they don't have a large budget, and we figured that anything we can do to help, all proceeds from the night are going to them. So it's trekgeekslive.com. We hope to see you there. Dan, it's time for the news from treknews.net. Spanning the Alpha Quadrant. 
for all the news on all the Star Treks, yo. Dun, 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 dun. It's treknews.net. <laughs> Online at treknews.net. Apparently warping all over the galaxy as they are wont to do, Dan. That's pretty amazing. Yep. How did you manage to catch them at warp speed? It wasn't easy, but you know. That's why you sent a professional to do a job like that. Well done, buddy. Well done. Dan, first up, for those in the Los Angeles area, there is a very cool-looking expedition coming your way this spring. Yes, the Skirball Cultural Center has revealed details of its L.A. debut presentation of Star Trek Exploring New Worlds. This sounds very cool. This immersive exhibition will showcase Star Trek's enduring impact on culture, art, and technology. The exhibition also explores how Star Trek broke boundaries with its daring vision of cooperation and inclusion, where humans and aliens work together for the common goal of exploring the galaxy. Now, Star Trek Exploring New Worlds will open uh, on April 30th and will remain on view through September 6th, 2020. Set pieces from Star Trek to the original series, including Captain Kirk's command chair and the navigation console, will be available to look at. More than 100 artifacts and props from the various Star Trek TV series and films will be on display, such as Spock's tunic worn by Leonard Nimoy, Lieutenant Uhura's dress worn by Nichelle Nichols, Khan garments past and present, including, including the open chest tunic worn by Ricardo Montalban in Star Trek II, and the costume worn by Benedict Cumberbatch in the 2013 reboot as well as Captain Picard's uniform worn by Sir Patrick Stewart, a Borg costume, the alien Gorn, original scripts, storyboards, and more. The list goes on and on, Bill. Uh, also, as a very special bonus, on May 29th, our good friends from Five Year Mission will be playing not one but two shows at 8 p.m. and 9.15 p.m. That sounds like a fantastic time in itself, buddy. I, it's amazing. I'm, I'm kind of bummed that I'm going to... Uh, LA for the Nichelle Nichols farewell con just a few weeks before that because there's no way I can make it back out for for this. Um, the fact that Five Year Mission is doing Hollywood is going to be fantastic. I it's going to be a, a night to remember. It really is. Really, it will be. And and I'm I really like that they're going to have this exhibition uh, open for so long. So um, for those of you that are going to be in the LA area anytime from April to September, check it out because I'm sure it's it's going to be a lot of cool stuff there, especially on May 29th. Uh, we're going to tell everybody from the LAOA team to take lots of photos. Absolutely. Because um, we want to see them. Uh, Dan, also, Valentine's Day may be in our rearview mirror as we record this week, but uh, love is always in the air for one Captain James Tiberius. Kirk. Wow. Wow, my goodness. I don't, I don't even know how to start from that, but I will. Um, indeed, Bill, yes, at least uh, in the latest comic adventure by our friends at IDW Comics and our good friend and fellow podcaster Shashank Avaru has his latest review over at treknews.net. Year 5 Valentine's Day special is now available and tells the story of a romance between Captain Kirk and Captain Laura Roan from the USS Drake while both are on shore leave at a picturesque beach location. Shashank's review wrap-up is an instant classic, and he says, quote, The last few years of Star Trek comics have been an embarrassment of riches. Year 5 is at the top of that mountain of comic gold we have been getting. Take a bow, Cornell and Jones. Forget flowers and chocolates. This comic is the perfect gift to pamper your Trekkie partner, end quote. 
that's high praise. So one, I got to say Shashank is going out of his mind because you not only name dropped him, you also quoted him. So he's going to, we're not going to be able to live with him for the next year. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> Secondly, um, so if this is the perfect gift to pamper your Trekkie partner, did you get me those? Maybe you should check your uh, iPad later. <laughs> That's a no. Uh, <laughs> Big no. Big fat no. <laughs> I have to agree with Shashank. IDW has been doing some fantastic stuff. Probably some of the best stuff that's been done in a long time with the Star Trek name uh, in comics. So it's uh, it's definitely worth checking out. And uh, finally, Dan, in news, mm-hmm. I just want to stress this is news. <laughs> we report this because we have journalistic integrity. Yes, some of us do. And we want to bring these stories to the people. But however... You and I have been known to throw back a few potent potables, a few adult beverages from time to time. And now if you have enough Quatlus, you can throw back some drinks in style. Oh, yes, you can. Quatlus, I like that. Uh, we've seen Star Trek glasses forever, man. Um, but Movies on Glass recently attained a license to produce Star Trek glassware. And I got to say, these are quite gorgeous. There's a whole bunch of designs to choose from like frosted old-fashioned slash rock glasses with artwork ranging from 10 forward to a set of four com badge glasses depicting the USS Enterprise NCC-1701, 1701D, Deep Space Nine, and the USS Discovery NCC-1031. Another pair of designs includes property of USS Enterprise for both TOS and TNG, a Section 31 logo frosted glass, which I am very much going to want, as well as disco highball glasses and quarks or disco pint glasses for those of you that maybe like to drink pints of the frosty beverages. Uh, they're beautiful, but I got to say, in my opinion, they're a little pricey. Uh, for example, the Combadge glasses run at a hefty 27 bucks each or the set of four for $90. Uh, but hey, when has cost ever prevented us from having awesome Star Trek swag, my friend? So uh, as an added bonus, our good friend Starfleet Mom has a review of the glasses over at trekmovie.com and has a great 10% off code word for those interested in making the purchase. But hurry up because uh, that coupon expires on February 22nd, 2020. And as we record, that's only a few days away. It really is. You know, here's the one thing I guarantee is there are going to be people who be people who buy these glasses that still bitch about having to pay for CPS All Access every month. <laughs> um, uh, hey, you know, if, if you like really high-end barware, um, you know, really kind of glasses, this is the thing for you. This is clearly not the thing for everybody, but I've seen these things. They're gorgeous. They, they really, really are. are. Yeah. And if you're sitting them on a shelf that's got some LED lighting underneath or even on top, they are going to, they're just they're going to be a centerpiece. They really are. So uh, definitely check that out. Go get that discount code. Get yourself some money off because we're all about discounts. And um, have a drink responsibly, please. Well, Dan, once again, we've reached the part of the show where we get to talk about our amazing friends at Fansets and the truly jaw-dropping line of pins and accessories they have available over at fansets.com. My jaw just dropped. Uh, I know. I see it. I know. Isn't that awful? I think you're drooling. I look like Jacob Marley. When anyway, <laughs> you know, it's mid-month, and you know what that means, buddy. New pins. 
Mid-month new pins. Head over new to Fans. Pins. Exactly. Head on over to fansets.com right now and check out their newest pins like Bernadette Rostenkowski Wallowitz from the Big Bang Theory. Try to say that three times fast. The Caterpillar P500 Power Loader from Aliens. And oh, I don't know, a Trouble with Tribbles tribute pin from a certain show called Star Trek. That's right. It's out there. Star right Trek? Now. Never heard of her. I know. <laughs> <laughs> you, you silly man. But hey, that's big news. But I got I got some big, big news. Incredibly, bigly news, I think you might even want to call it. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Fansets is proud to announce that they are hard at work on the latest editions of the Women of Trek pins. In the coming months, you'll be able to add the following glitterized pins to this amazing collection. Jadzia Dax, Nurse Chapel, Seven of Nine, Hoshi Sato... And Sylvia Tilly. Very cool. Nice. That is a great array of characters. Great array. The first pin, which will be Jadzia Dax, should be available sometime in May. So keep your eyes on fansets.com for the latest releases. You know, buddy, that that is amazing news. You didn't lie. You didn't undersell it. But um, I got to tell you, I've got some even bigger news. Oh, okay. 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 Go ahead. Take the spotlight, pal. I am. And I'm going (laughs) to step right into it and shine like a beacon. Um, so during an inventory check at the, at the Fansets warehouse, now you've seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? Mm. You've seen the end scene where they, they box up the Ark of the Covenant mm-hmm. and they nail it shut in that wooden crate and they take it into this giant warehouse and they just keep going and going and going. Right. This warehouse goes forever. That's what the Fansets warehouse is like, Dan. Mm. And in doing an inventory check, they came across 35 sets of the women of Trek pins that were released at STLV this past year. I, yes, you heard me right. Yes. These are the glitterized versions that you and I loved so much and they have 35 of them. So if you missed out on this amazing collection, they're going to be available over at fansets.com very soon. And once they are gone, buddy, they are gone forever. So just 35 sets of these glitterized series one women of Trek pins remain and people can get their hands on them. So if you're going to do that, you're going to go, go buy, go buy a bunch of stuff on fan sets. I mean, don't wait, just go over there, put a bunch of stuff in your cart, some pins, some pin sets, some accessories, get some of those locking pin backs. And, um, as always, Trek Geeks listeners are going to get an amazing 15% off their order, and it's so easy to do. Just take this code word that I'm about to give you and put it in the special discount code field at checkout, and that word is get in the box. That's all caps, no spaces, get in the box. That's the code. That's going to get you 15% off your entire order at fansets.com, and it's going to be available until Wednesday, February 26th, 2020 at midnight Eastern Standard Time. Fansets, our pins have character, and we thank our friends at Fansets for being the presenting sponsor of Trek Geeks. That's amazing. You really will read anything I put up there. Yeah. And it's it's... That's, that's power. I don't know if you realize what power that I saw is. I italicize the character. Yeah. 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 Thank you. Yeah. Speaking of power, we're going to talk a little bit about Paradise, the Deep Space Nine season two episode, um, which uh, it's a little bit of a showcase for Cisco and O'Brien. You know, Cisco gets a lot to do in this one. He, he gets to be all Cisco-y. Cisco-y. But um, this is an episode that you and I have had some differing opinions on. 
over the years, mm-hmm. now unbeknownst to to the other. I mean, I don't think we've ever really talked about this episode specifically, but no. it's not one of your favorites. Is that it, fair it, to say? It isn't. Um, the reasons that it's not one of my favorites have uh, have changed drastically, especially in preparing for recording this episode. Um, what I remember from before is that I was bored with it. I really didn't care for what was going on. It was kind of like a talkity talky yak yak show and there wasn't really going much going on. And, <laughs> and Jadzia and, and Dax or Jadzia and Kira were like throwing lassoes at another ship or some weird, ridiculous crap. So I just, I never really, it, it was one of those ones where I'm like, yeah, Deep Space Nine season two. Okay. Um, but very different now. Very different. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so is it, is it one you, I can't forget, we did see it or skip it. Did you vote to skip this one? I'm not sure. Why don't you go ahead and talk a little bit and I'll, uh, see if I can figure out what I actually said that first time that we talked about it. I'm sure I got it here somewhere. (laughs) Sure. I remember watching this in 1994 and I wasn't necessarily bowled over by the episode, but I thought it was a really solid entry into Star Trek because I thought it said a lot about a number of things. I th- first, I thought it, it said just a vast amount about Cisco as a leader. And I think that's the thing I appreciated first and foremost. Secondly, I thought it said a lot about the people who were part of that colony and, and what they were willing to subject themselves to. And we're going to examine some of that today. Um, because I, I think that my appreciation for that aspect is probably leapfrogged the Cisco aspect. So you're laughing. So it tells me that I probably voted skip it. <laughs> All right, I'll see what you said first. See it. The scene with Cisco going back in the box is worth it alone. And this surprised me because I don't remember doing this, but I gave it a see it. <laughs> and I gave it a see it because of this. See it because I loathe Elixis so much. And I feel that I am in the hot box every week when we sit down to record Trek Geeks with Bill. It's just torture. <laughs> wow. So, so there you go, pal. <laughs> so you're my Elixis. Wow. So so then when we did this back in oh, two years ago, I think it was, for Deep Space 925, you said, see this episode. Yeah. You lion piece of garbage. I don't remember. It must just be because of the way I felt about it. It must be the drink. It must be. Yeah, it must be. I don't know. Maybe I was in the hot box too long. I don't know. But uh, yeah, interesting. Huh. <laughs> it is interesting. Um, at the heart of this episode, I mean, there is a there's a very Star Trek type problem. You know, Cisco and, and O'Brien discover a human colony where there ought not be one. We've had that happen plenty of times in Star Trek. Mm-hmm. So what do they do? They it's like, well, hey, there's this field. It means the electronics probably won't work. So what do they do? They beam down. <laughs> That's a brilliant move, Ben. Um, because uh, you ain't gonna get back up. <laughs> The communicator doesn't work. Oops. Phaser doesn't work. Tricorder doesn't work. And this this field is is has caused this this colony of humans to essentially be stranded on this planet with no technology whatsoever. It's like they're the Gilligan's Island of of Star Trek. <laughs> yeah, I won't do it. <laughs> I was waiting for you to do it. Damn, Give me your money. <laughs> we saw Alan Hale do your star in Hollywood. <laughs> yes, we did. We did. We're outside Musso and Frank's. Yes. I was there. No. I was there. Yeah. Um, so th- these people have been there for 10 years. Mm-hmm. And they've developed this colony. Um, there are kids running around. So, I mean, uh, some of them are younger than 10. So it means families have been started. Right. Um, because 
they had no hope of really ever getting off this rock. Mm-hmm. That they crashed on by accident. Yeah, by accident. accident. Yes. Um, yeah. And uh, no technology whatsoever. Um, former engineer who can tell he loves talking to O'Brien about engineery things. Mm-hmm. Um, you can tell that there's a little bit of strange goings on happening and, and um, just right from the get go, just, it didn't sit well with me. But Dan, wouldn't you be happier if you just took off that uniform? <laughs> I know, what the heck? It's like, you think that's going to change everything? Well, no, I think that that's about the control. control. That's about her being the top dog mm-hmm. and him not being the top dog. And as long as he wears the uniform, he's a Starfleet commander um, who's very much in charge of Miles O'Brien. And what she wants is for them to assimilate. Good way um, to put it. Yeah. 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 I mean, because that, that's really what she wants. Yeah. Um, one of the core problems that that I really have with Elixis is that, you know, it's through the episode. If you haven't seen it in a while, she is revealed to have essentially orchestrated this whole thing to maroon this, this crew there and start a colony because of her, um, resentment of things, technological in nature. I mean, she still writes down things in books. She still uses a paper pencil and, uh, and paper. And, um, the thing that really gets me about this is that in order to accomplish what she wanted to do, she needed technology. Yeah. She had to bring. She's a hypocrite. She's an incredible hypocrite. She had to bring this giant generator, bury it in the ground and activate it. And it's because of this piece of electronic equipment, which I'm still kind of trying to figure out how that runs and creates a duonetic field and doesn't kill the generator, but that's just me. Um, still needs that technology in order to exert her will over these people. I, I I have so many issues with this woman that it makes me dislike the episode because unfortunately there are people like this in today's society. We say, I mean, in all, for all intents and purposes, Alexis should have just given everybody in the colony a roll of quarters and a pair of Nikes and told them to go drink something in their room because that's what she is. She's nothing but a cult leader and a nut burger. For doing what she did, she did it all under false pretenses. They didn't crash land there. She planned it all out. She lied to everybody so that she could have her utopia without bringing people that wanted to go there. I, I have such a problem with 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 that character and and what she does and how she does it. For God's sake, she hoard out Cassandra to Cisco. Just yes. to get him to turn. And yes. I, it's just, what will she not do? People died because of her with the sickness. Um, and she was okay with it because it was letting, you know, they were learning how to deal with it. I, oh man, I just, I'm, my hackles are raised right now. No, and I, <laughs> I, I totally understand why. I mean, I think that Elixis is a character in, in the Star Trek universe that, that has these kinds of passionate reactions one way or the other. You know, there are people who I'm sure can see why she did what she did, but it doesn't justify it. No. Uh, like you, I, I'm disgusted by it. I mean, uh, I spent a little bit of time in, uh, in the little time I spent in organized religion in my adulthood, I spent time in one that actually could be considered a cult. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, Alexis is not unlike most of the people I encountered in that vein. I mean, cult, cult leaders exist through 
uh, exist by control by people, you know, supplicating themselves mm-hmm. in their will and being cut off from the people who love and care about them to uh, become followers. And that's exactly what she's done. It, it's very textbook as far as cultism goes. She's literally cut them off from everything in the most extreme senses of the word. This, uh, go ahead. This is, I was going to say, this is a great example of what we always seem to come back to when we're talking about specific episodes on the podcast. The writers of the time took something that is an issue in society now, or, or then, and is even more so now in, in a lot of different ways, and make an episode that really can just light a fire under people. They're so yeah. The writers of Star Trek are so good at being able to do that. And as we talk about this, I find myself being more animated about my feelings on the episode than I think any of the other shows we've talked about. That's true. And I think the interesting thing about this 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 episode was that Michael Piller was very interested in doing something along these lines um, because cult, cultism was an, int- an area he had some interest in due to a family member being involved in one. So, you know, he, he had to do some, some research and some studying and looking at those issues. And this episode was put on the schedule. And I have to say that even as Star Trek, I think it deals with the aspect of cultism really well. Um, yeah, because I mean, there's no way Cisco and O'Brien can't stay on, uh, can stay on the planet. They have to leave. You know, they're, they're in the show. <laughs> they're our heroes. <laughs> they have to wind up leaving the planet. Yeah. But they have to find a way for them to do it, which makes sense. Um, one of the things I really like is how Cisco challenges Elixis almost from the very moment he gets there. I think he sees through her like very early on and sees what's going on. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's just my interpretation of no, it. No, I agree. I agree with that. But he, he's able to essentially just, you know, go toe to toe with her and she she won't have any of it, man. She's she's really kind of really kind of gross. One of the things I found interesting, and I actually had to rewind the episode um, last week when I was watching it, was she just starts calling him Ben right away. And I'm like, do they know each other? But right. no, it's another – it's a, what we were just talking about. It's another one of those control things. She's not going to call him by rank. There's no Starfleet here. There's no technology here. You're Ben, and you're going to be Ben as long as you're here. And oh, by the way, I'm going to see to it that you stay here for the rest of your life. Yeah. And then it's not until deeper into the episode we learn that there's, well, uh, there's rules. And if you break those rules, there are punishments. Wow. And I think that the first time I watched this back in 94, that's really the thing that got me the most was that she didn't just discipline people or come up with a series of consequences. It was just outright torture. And these people did it willingly. That's the control that cult leaders have over yeah. their over their flock, so to speak. And it was amazing to me that she was able to justify it not being torture when everybody knows that it is. That's another one of those of the when you look at these of these people and and what they try to do with the people that are that are lost enough or foolish enough to follow them. Um, that control is just amazing and they will justify anything with some strange answer and the people will be okay with it. And that's a great example because it's torture. I mean, 100% torture, especially it, in that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, they, they take that, that one kid out of the box, 
in the episode, you know, sort of, you know, foreshadowing the fact that somebody else is going to wind up in there. And uh, he's, he's dehydrated, you know, he's, he's looking pretty bad. And you realize the lengths that this woman will go to in order to see that her will is carried out by her followers because they really are. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at some point that somebody's going to go in there and when it's Cisco, you know that there's no way he's going to let O'Brien get in there. Right. And the thing is that Elixis knows that too. She never had any intention of putting O'Brien in the box, even though O'Brien was the one who did something wrong. Mm-hmm. She had every intention of putting Cisco in the box to break him. Yeah. Speaking of speaking of the young the young boy that that was in there first, I think his name was Stefan, if I remember correctly. All he did was steal a candle. Yeah. And that's the punishment that you get. So I mean, just that in itself, you got to be like, what? I mean, it, I say this jokingly, but also not jokingly. It's like the punishment that they had on, what was it, Ito, when Wesley fell into the flower bed. Yeah. Why not just inject him and kill him and be over with it? I mean, it's that ridiculous. Well, um, look at Les Miserables, you know, by Victor Hugo. Jean Valjean steals a loaf of bread and winds up in prison. Right. And then when he escapes, it becomes, you know, Javert's, yep. you know, obsession to catch him and put him back over a loaf of bread. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it does the punishment fit the crime? And it sounds like in this case, uh, the punishment wasn't designed for the crime. It was designed for obedience. Damn you, Eddington. <laughs> well, some of us had seen Les Miserables well before there was a Michael Eddington. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, um, let's, let's, let's talk about happier things for just a moment. So yeah. I can, I can get my blood pressure down now because I want to yeah. punch her right in the... Anyway, um, the whole... The, the one... Uh, while I'm surprised I gave it a see it, and while it's not one of my favorite episodes, the parts on the planet are what really drive up my emotions. The Kira and Dax part of the episodes to me was just, it was hard to watch. Was it hard to watch for you? No. I don't want to go lassoing a runabout and and hope that the engineers built things good enough to be able to stand the, the force, the, the shearing force and all of that. I just thought that was kind of silly. I was wondering what... I was wondering why they didn't just use the prefix code. Yeah. Well, do runabouts have the prefix codes like starships do? Uh, it's, well, it's, it's a Starfleet vessel. I assume they all have prefix yeah. codes. Yeah. Um, but perhaps the f- prefix code had been replaced. Yeah. Um, who knows? I didn't mind that scene so much. I mean, it, it gave Kira and Dax some, something halfway interesting to do. Um, otherwise, there was no way for the runabout to wind up back where it was supposed to be. And Kira gets to throw rank at Jadzia, which is something that you don't see very often. No, it's very true. That's a really good point. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, there are f- what, there's four cast members who don't appear in this episode. Yeah. Um, Rene Aubergenois, um, Siddig El-Fadil, or Alexander Siddig, depending mm-hmm. on what season we're talking about, Armin Shimmerman and Sirach Lofton. Right. All don't appear in the episode, which is pretty amazing. Because um, that's literally half the cast. It's not a bottle show either. No, it's really yeah. not. Well, th- th- there was some location work on this at Griffith yeah. Park in LA. Yeah. Obviously, they had to build uh, some sets on a soundstage. So, I mean, th- this is a show that had some, you know, had some budget. I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure letting four, you know, main actors have uh, have the week off was probably not too bad for the uh, <laughs> for the checkbook. But so, let's go back to the planet for a second. Yeah. 
We talked about stealing a candle will get you in the box for I don't know how many days he was in there. Was it ever specifically said by Psycho Woman that um, you cannot attempt to contact your runabout ever again? Can't do it. It is against the rules of this colony. I don't remember that ever being said, but that's specifically the punishment or the, the thing that caused Cisco to be punished for Miles attempting to contact the runabout. I think in her mind, because she's the leader, it was, well, you're part of us now. You have no need to do those things because we don't use technology here. Um, and I think that, that Miles' insistence on attempting to, to continue to try to contact the runabout was what she was responding to. I don't know if they came out and said it verbatim, yeah. but uh, I, think it, I think the implication was there. One thing that I also found interesting in that whole scene is even though it wasn't the case, someone pointed out, I think it was Joseph, that they were probably just contacting the runabout so that they could get some of the medical supplies that they've already said were on the ship. Yeah, it was Joseph. But that still wasn't good enough for her, which told, tells you how completely off the rails she is. At that uh, point, they, it's yeah. This kid was dying, and these this, me, this this medical kit could have saved her in a heartbeat. But instead, she wanted to rub some fruit juice on the girl or some ridiculous thing like that. It's another one of those. I, I just found myself wanting to punch the television several times during this episode. One thing at that point, that's also about the control. Yeah, you know exactly. There's there's a crack in the armor, and the only way to to repair it was to make an example out of somebody, and that somebody was going to be Benjamin Cisco no matter what. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the dynamic where Elixis and Cisco have scenes together is very interesting mm-hmm. because you can tell that Ben has just about no patience for her. He doesn't show it physically, you know, it doesn't show physically. He doesn't say he, that's the case. But every time she talks, he's like, mm-hmm, okay. It's kind of like when you talk to me. Um, oh, tell me about it. <laughs> but you're right. Um, you're absolutely right. And, and he was, there's no way he wasn't going to get thrown in that box during this episode. Because mm-hmm. it, was, it was the power play. And Cisco does probably one of the most captain-like things I've ever seen in Star Trek. He not only gets in the box, but when he's provided the opportunity to get out and get some water, only if he just changes his uniform, right. Ben. Right. What does he do? He puts himself back in, back the, box. in the box. And I got to say that that scene where he's having a real hard time walking towards it and he collapses and O'Brien starts to come towards him and Cisco just shakes his head. I'm doing this. And he does it. That's that's a powerful moment in this episode. It really is. You know, you, it, the first time I saw that, I remember getting you know goosebumps when it happened, because Cisco is uh, Cisco is putting on full display what being an independent thinker is about. He's he's showing everybody you don't have to listen to her, right? You know, as even though he's being tortured in the process, he willingly goes back for more torture because he refuses to submit. And I like I think you put it perfectly. It's an incredibly powerful moment in that episode. It is. That box is cool though. <laughs> uh, it, it's 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 design. I, I say that because it's just it's it's cool looking. It's kind of borgish in a way. Yeah. Um, I like how they have locks on it. Um, why not just have a little like clicker like you know you don't have to have locks it's just like shut the door and then you're good to go he's not going to come out <laughs> and it, i find it i found it funny that it looked like a good size box not super big 
Yeah. But um, he could have stretched out a little in there, but he had a hard time walking later. I don't know. Well, it's because, you know, his muscles just have no moisture, you know, uh-huh. his body has no moisture, he's dehydrated. Um, I'm sure that muscle control was really tough. Yeah. Well, you know, I kid, of course. It was just, it was ridiculous, disgusting. I'd love to lock you in that device. box. Wow. I mean, hey. <laughs> Dude, I have got an awesome cosplay idea for the, for STLV. The box? Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Doing it. <laughs> then you have a flap that opens up <laughs> be like, and, oh. and you see Stefan in there. <laughs> Jeez, wow. Oh, my goodness. Um, so anyway, uh, one of the other things that I really liked about this episode, and, and it always, you know, it's something like this is going to happen, is the is the chase scene with O'Brien and uh, yeah. and uh, and her son. And the interesting um, little distraction of him <laughs> just hanging his uniform on a branch. Oh, there's O'Brien. I'm going to shoot him with an arrow. <laughs> oh, God, it's not O'Brien. <laughs> you got O'Brien running around the woods in his skivvies. <laughs> Yep. Yeah, that was a good scene, too. I liked it. No, it really was. I mean, you knew that O'Brien was going to figure it out. The one clunky part of that whole sequence is when he knocks Joseph unconscious. He's like, yeah, just take a look down there. I can do this so nobody... It's not even going to hurt. I'm like going, what the hell did he just do to him? You know that. I mean, yeah. I was like, how is that going to knock Joseph out? It was still funny. It looks like he just barely touched him on the head. I'm like, come on. (laughs) Come on. Television, man. The power. The power. Yeah. Yeah. So brought hematite or whatever it is in his hand, he hit him really hard with it. Yeah. So O'Brien and all those you know years he spent doing nothing in the transporter room, read up on ways to incapacitate people silently. Awesome. <laughs> Great job, Miles. I, I will say I this was wasn't this the episode where he talked about his history with the Cardassians during the war? Yeah, at the at the beginning of the runabout I, with Cisco. I enjoy that. I like that tie into the episode from TNG, and of course that comes back later on uh, um, in in DS Nine. But I I like how they talked about it. Set look three, I think, is what it was. The battle uh, that he was part of. Yeah, that that was very cool. It's interesting. Um, in in looking up the the background of this episode of Memory Alpha, there's an interesting paragraph in the reception field. I'm going to read it verbatim. Both producer Iris Stephen Bear and director Corey Allen were disappointed with the final form of this episode. Bear felt the show wavers unevenly between depicting the colony both in a good and bad light, but never really settles for either view. Quote, in terms of what those people were doing, the message of the show always seemed a little unclear. It was a show that worked well, but I don't know that we ever found it. We went back and forth over whether what these people were doing was a positive thing or a negative thing. And Star Trek is such a tech show and making these people anti-technology was almost like doing a negative show on Greenpeace, end mm. quote. Um, Alan felt that Alexis comes across harsher than she should, although he doesn't fault ac- actress Gail Strickland for this. On the contrary, he praises her... He praised her for giving the character any humanity at all. Quote, Gail and I worked very hard to make that character reasonable because her motives were right thinking. She'd created a paradise and she needed to preserve it through discipline. We set out to let her be the reasonable and caring human being that she and I agreed she was, but we were swimming upstream. It didn't come out that way. But I think it's to Gail's credit that in making the effort, uh, the character came out with a more human traits End quote. That's from the Star Trek Deep space nine companion. I cannot um, disagree with that more. Same here. Oh my God. I, I completely disagree with Corey Allen's take. Yeah, exactly. Yes, absolutely. I, I totally I, agree with Iris. 
I, I kind of agree with Iris because I don't necessarily think they were, you know, doing a, a like a negative show on Greenpeace as he likened it to. I, I didn't well, get that sense. I take what I take as I agree with is that it was um, it wavers unevenly between depicting the colony in a good and a bad light. I totally agree with that. Um, I I 100% disagree with Corey Allen's take on it. I don't think there's any humanity in that woman whatsoever, no matter how much Gail Strickland acted it. Yeah, no, I, in fact, I think that the brilliant part of Gail Strickland's performance is that we hate this character so mm-hmm. much. Yep. Um, she did an amazing job making this person a crazy woman. Right. She which is, is how um, she comes across. She's a one-episode Kai Win, really. It's, yeah. It's just that character you're going to hate yeah. um, and love to hate. I just think... There's no human. She does. She does all of this under false pretenses. Yeah, she's making her utopia, but she's lying to these other people that she brought so that she could get it. And that's not humanity at all. That's inhumane, in my opinion. Agreed. I think one of the things this episode does really well is the way it frames the discussion on cultism in the in the 24th century. In addition to today, some people think that Descent Part Two is also a decent examination examination of cultism, and I don't see that. I think it's because of the lore aspect. Yes. Yeah. It's not that it's not that lore has this um the, the this characteristic that makes people want to follow him. He's using technology to do it. Mm-hmm. Um and it, it's a bit of cheating on his part, sure, but um the Borger mindless automatons for all intents and purposes. In this case, you've got thinking, feeling, sentient human beings who have been made to believe in this cause because they've been lied to. Right. And that's what cult leaders do is they lie. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, I'm, I had not read that paragraph until about 20 seconds before you said you were going to read it. Yeah. And I was reading it and I'm like, I cannot believe that this guy thought these things, the director. That really surprises me that the person who directed this episode and had all the ideas for what he wanted to show and how to bring it about actually thought those things. That's that's an amazing take on it and one that I'm very surprised about. One of the things that fascinates me is the inspiration for episodes like this. And apparently um, the Keimer Rouge um, were used as an inspiration for the colony that Elixis was running. Um, they, th- This is quoting from Wikipedia. This is not my supposition of what the Keimer Rouge was, just as a disclaimer. Uh, the Khmer Rouge is the name which was given popularly to given members of the Communist Party of Kampuchea, and by extension, was also given to the regime through which the CPK ruled Cambodia between 1975 and 1979. Um, they were a, uh, they were a, essentially a cult is the wrong word, but they were a group that uh, was highly autocratic, xenophobic, paranoid, repressive. Does that sound like anybody you know in this episode, Dan? Um, <laughs> But a large number of deaths resulted from their social engineering policies, um, you know, and the things that that imitated, you know, it's kind of skimming the the Wikipedia article, the uh, the Great Chinese Famine. So um, it's very interesting that they use that as their inspiration because if I look at today, I look at some groups out there that probably would be just as inspirational for writing a leader like Alexis or this colony. You brought it up earlier with the, the heaven's gate cult, the purple Nikes and the, uh, and the bags of quarters. Um, for me, it made me think of the anti-vaxxer movement of today. Uh, mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and some of those people who, who, you know, don't want to listen to the reason of science to say that, you know, vaccines 
don't necessarily cause autism. Um, and granted, this is not anything I have a, 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 a you know, a, an iron in the fire on, or, you know, it's, I don't have a horse in this race, but, um, I could very easily see a group like that being the inspiration of this script were it written today. I would bet that if this script were working, were written today, it would be very similar to what we saw back when it was done in the nineties. I really believe that. Um, it just, because there always seems to be those facets of society out there, no matter what time frame we're looking at, whether it's the eighties, nineties, you know, the, the twenty teens or whatever there's always these groups and there's always we saw it in um waco texas what year what what decade was that when that all took place it was in the 90s that was in the 90s as well i mean there's always something so i have a feeling that if this was written whatever decade this could be written in i have a feeling it could be very similar and that everybody who watches it at the time would be able to relate to it based on what's going on in news cycles. Oh, and I think that's one of the the, the beautiful things about Star Trek. Yeah. You know, um, pretty soon, you know, in a couple of months, we'll be talking about why Star Trek matters. And episodes like this is are a great example as to why. This episode matters because things like this exist in the here and now today. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, there are people who do seek to, you know, exert their will on others, you know, for their own devices. Yep. Um, and... And it's pretty telling. One of the one of the things that really fascinates me about this is that uh, th- that cultism still exists in the twenty fourth century. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of things that exist in the twenty fourth century that aren't supposed to exist based on what we look of as quote genes vision. Um, it's like you're reading my mind. I think that shows that have come out more recently, uh, Discovery and Picard take that human element that there are things that just aren't going to change, whether it's something as silly as whether people swear because people are going to swear in the 24th Mm -hmm. century or other things on a much grander scale. It's still going to be there. And we just have to realize that it is. And hopefully by that point in the 24th century, people have evolved more in the way that they deal with it. Not so much that it even exists anymore. You know, I think it's interesting because there's a there's a segment of fandom out there that develops these rose-colored glasses mm-hmm. about the the Berman era of Trek specifically. And you you brought up a great point. People complain about some of the things that happened in Discovery and Picard as far as well that's not Star Trek or that's not Gene's vision. And here we are, 1994, right smack dab in the heyday of the TNG era. TNG had just finished or is about to finish because this is during TNG's seventh season in 94. And here we have an episode about a cult leader yeah. running a, a, a colony with a group of humans in the 24th century, mm-hmm. all because of their their blind um, zeal to have this vision of what humanity should be. Right. It ought not exist in the Star Trek universe, you know, according to what these other fans say, but there it is right on display. And honestly, I think that it's a topic that Deep Space Nine deals with pretty well, I have to say. Um, a couple of things that I had questions about. Here's my tongue in cheek part of the show. Yeah. Um, never heard about Cisco's brothers ever again, did we? Right. What the heck? I, hello. You're gonna leave. It's like when he talked about his father in the past tense. It's like, whoa, whoa, hey, he's in the restaurant right now cooking gumbo, baby. <laughs> um, that was one. And the other one, which made me scratch my head, was that um, when uh, O'Brien was talking about Setlick 3 at the beginning of the episode and what yeah. he did with the transporter, that's what, quote, earned him the gold suit. But um, he was wearing a red suit in the beginning of TNG. <laughs> <laughs> to counter a far point, he was, he was, uh, 
it was the, the helm. No, it was nav. He was either ops or nav. I think it was nav. Awfully re- reclined chairs before they fixed them. <laughs> yeah, drive this. Yeah, <laughs> well, you know, but hey, you know, these types of continuity errors just don't happen in Berman Trek, Dan. <laughs> I know, um, just so. It just it, think it, it doesn't happen. Um, I have to say that for as much as we hate Elixis, mm-hmm. I really respect the job that Gail Strickland does here. Yes, I can. Yes, I can definitely. You know, you know that an actor has done a great job when they can generate so much emotion from the character that she played. Yeah. And that's definitely the case with me. Like, I, I look at this episode. I don't like this episode because it gets me so riled up. But I get so riled up because she does such a great job of being a horrible human being. And it is not easy to go toe-to-toe with Avery Brooks in a scene. Mm-mm. I mean, we've heard people like J.G. Hertzler talk about it. Yeah, or Marco you know, Limo who got punched Mar- in the face. <laughs> or Marco Limo who got punched in the face, allegedly. Oh, I see. I saw the video a couple weeks ago, the actual video. He clocks him. <laughs> <laughs> but... She does an amazing job, you know, matching Avery Brooks in, yeah. in every scene that she's in. Um, and my hat's off to her. I don't think I respected that performance as much as I do now um, because she really is is quite fantastic in this. I got to say something that I think we've said a lot lately on the podcast. I would love to have seen what happened to blank. I would love to have seen what happened to her once she got brought back to the Federation to face these charges. That would have been interesting yeah. to see. And un- un- unfortunately, we never do. Well, it made me wonder why Vinod went with her, because he didn't have to. No, well, Maybe it's because it was his mom, but I, now all of a sudden, he's going to be there living in all this technology. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, well, let me ask you this. Are you surprised that the colonists, and I use the air quotes on that because really they were prisoners, are you surprised that the colonists stayed? I was because it would be one thing if they really did crash and then she figured out a way to hide technology. That wasn't the case. She purposely picked that planet, purposely crashed there, and then built her charade around that. I was very surprised that they decided to say, yes, it's been 10 years. They have their way of life now. But still, the amount of... Of um, I can't think of the word um, uh, when you're of not rejection. That's not the right way. But your whole your whole the last decade has been a complete lie. It's been a fabrication. But I'm gonna stay here. That just that that shocked me. What about you? Uh, I was absolutely stunned by that um, because I thought that they would want to leave when everything was exposed as a lie. Mm-hmm. You know, when Alexis was found out to be the manipulator that she was, I thought they. You know, I don't see how they could stay there and not think of that every second of every day. I can't believe that they didn't riot and throw her in the box and then lock it and leave. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, I mean, it's, that's, yeah. I, I, I think that's how I would have reacted. I would have been completely over, over the top with anger and torches and pitchforks. Yeah, exactly. Yep, yeah, absolutely. And I misspoke earlier. I said they were in the gamma quadrant. It's never revealed they're in the gamma quadrant. They're just star systems near the wormhole. Okay. Just to clarify, before we get mail. No, we, uh, that's all right. We, we're allowed to make mistakes sometimes. <laughs> the other thing that was funny is how she just, she, you know, she was able to shut down the technology so that she could go and get the ship to just go that way. And then it gets found and last, last suit or whatever the hell it was. But I thought that was kind of interesting as well. She uses technology only when it's important for her to. Only when it suits her needs. Exactly. And helps her continue her control. Mm-hmm. I do have to say that uh, 
this episode was the reason I started looking at Ca- uh, Commander Cisco, then Captain Cisco, as as my captain. Ah, interesting. Um, because he does step up, and because he does hold the ideals of Starfleet throughout the entire episode. It would have been very easy for someone else to say, all right, yeah, I'll change my clothes and still look for a way to get out of here. Right. Not Benjamin Cisco. Yeah, standing up to her. Totally. He's, he stood up to her, and he ultimately was victorious, but thanks to O'Brien. Right. O'Brien saves everyone. <sighs> and he suffers oh. for it in every episode. Wow. I suffer every, in every episode, too. <laughs> thanks. I know what that was going on. So you, you admitted that you've, you've kind of changed the way you think about this. Do you like the episode any better? I have such a disdain for the message in the episode and the way that this person is to the people that trusted her that it's hard for me to say I like it. As I said before, I have a different appreciation for it based on me being older and looking things in a different light. But this woman is, is just so reprehensible to me that it really is... If I was gonna, if I had a choice, like we're seeing this on Twitter lately, you have you know you have four episodes of Star Trek, you have to choose one. If this was in a list, they would have to be really, really bad episodes listed for me to choose to watch this one. It's just because it makes my skin crawl. I, I think I like this episode even more now, mm-hmm. um, which really kind of amazes me uh, because I didn't think I could. I I think that I think that it says something very loud and clear. You know, that these people exist, that, you know, that there are always going to be these types of people that take advantage of us, whether it's here and now, or whether it's in the 24th century. And we have to stand up to them like Cisco does. Yeah. I think that it sends that message pretty plainly. Um, and I, I think it's also because it, it seems very theatrical to me. You know, this episode could be staged as a play with the exception of the Kira and, and Dax parts, yeah. and it would work. That's an interesting point. You know, think, um, you, you could do it, and I think it would be very compelling theater. And I think that's why I like this episode, because it is compelling theater. It is compelling. I will give it that, and I will, and I do appreciate the message. I think, just for me, the the amount of, of complete betrayal by this one character for her own selfish reasons, and then trying to... Um, tell everyone why it was the right thing to do is just so disgusting to me that I just, it's just something that makes me dread the episode. I can totally understand that. I look forward to hearing what other people think of this episode. You know, uh, feel free to comment wherever you see this episode posted on social media or get in touch with us with the Trek Geeks website. Send us an email. We'll be happy to, uh, to talk about some of those comments in a future Trek Geeks. I think what do you that's th- a great idea. I think that's a great idea too. <laughs> Uh, Danny, what else is a great idea? Uh, Listening to five-year mission. hmm. Now you might think that you just have to listen to their music. No, 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 sir. That's not true anymore because now in addition to all of their amazing albums, year one, year two, year three, year four, Anyo Quattro. He's showing it right now. People. I'm showing it. Yep. Um, Spock's brain, trouble triples. Now you can listen to five-year mission, the podcast, on the Trek Geeks Network. And Dan, this week, they did another installment of Real or Fake. No, 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 no. Come on now. It is real or it's a fake. Thank you. 
And uh, that's always a good time. So um, I'm glad they went back to the well on that one pretty soon because uh, it was an episode that I really enjoyed. And we hope everyone else will enjoy it too. So head on out to fiveyearmission.net, get all their albums. And then on your local podcast player on your phone, download Five Year Mission, the podcast. We uh, we want you to have them in your ear holes. I like that's kind of. That sounds a little dirty, but that's okay. Um, I Maybe love you should just get a Q-tip I, and, I know, and clean I out your ears. You love them. I love watching the episodes about them, like the one I recently watched, which I think you're going to appreciate because you appreciate them all. Um, oh, yeah. A, you might remember this one. Uh, Julian and Miles crash land on a planet where they find a rogue band trying to escape the chains of the Dominion. They've been forced to play songs they don't like for so long, and, and Bill, they just want to be free of it. That's all they want. The drummer, for some strange reason, was not addicted to Ketracel White and therefore wanted to cure the other band members. Yeah, but it uh, it doesn't go uh, as planned as well as they would have thought for the mysteriously cured first Garanifark. From the episode Hippocratic Oath, you might remember, but uh, Garanifark was a very interesting character. No Ketracel White um, songs, Dominion, Escape... Uh, yeah, I'd love to escape right now. <laughs> Was you? You've had one good farkism out of two hundred plus episodes. Do not move. You and, are prisoners of the Jemhadar. Is uh, anyway. you could have gone the Jemhafark. I mean, I've done that one before, so I couldn't do that. I don't repeat myself. Yeah. I don't repeat <laughs> myself, Bill. <laughs> I hate you so much right now. I. That you know, yeah. I thought there was one a couple weeks ago that I thought was the worst one ever. Uh, this one's pretty much the worst. Oh one ever. come on, this was wonderful. This one is so bad. I hope Fark doesn't change his name <laughs> to Garana Fark. Change it this week? I didn't notice. I didn't look. Oh Fark, you're losing your mojo. Uh, maybe you could look before you make that determination, jerk. <laughs> you're gonna get sued again. <laughs> wow. But yeah, head on out to fiveyearmission.net. Dan's terrible Farkism notwithstanding. And go get all their tunes. Of course, Dan, don't forget, you can support the Trek Geeks podcast network by subscribing to exclusive bonus content via Patreon. You can check out the brand new 2020 annual t-shirt design and our annual supporters pin for 2020. Plus, you can get raw, unedited audio of all of our podcasts, along with some other perks, Dan. Nice. Yes. Yeah, so we also want to take a moment right now to thank our associate producers for Trek Geeks. We are so grateful for their support. Thank you, Adam Sanders, Brandon Everidge, Heather Sohn, John Krikorian, Rick Tatro, Trey Womack, Sean Lynn, Shane Murray, Tim Robertson, Tim Serdar, Vikram Bhatt, Greg Rozier, Andy Fark, Kimberly Francis, Ron Robel, Brooke Horton, Christina Werther, Jim McMahon, Luke Burnham, Eric Sakian, Lisa Tomlinson, and the gracious and wonderful Conrad Hutchins. Wow, I was ready for you to pop into C3PO mode, and you didn't do it. Full of surprises. I know. Conrad, I'm sure, is bummed. Granifark. <laughs> really? <laughs> and of course, Dan, we also want to thank our Trek Geeks producers for their support. They are Ken Tripp, Casey Shafsky, Charlie Mulvey, Chris Trebuzio, Craig Ewing, Eric Extreme, Jackie and Chris Hackney, Landell Marchand, Matt McGonigal, Mike Bovia, Patrick Escudero, Sean O'Halloran, Peter Craig, Ben Russett, Ken Bird, Jamie Rogers, David Hood, Rachel Delaney, and the lovely and talented Jess Fashon. You too can become producer on the Trek Geeks Network. Head on over to patreon.com slash trekgeeks for all the details. Next week, Dan, it's been a long time since we've looked closely at a specific race of aliens. And I think we had an episode about the Klingons way back in episode 60, 
So about 150 episodes wow. later, why don't we just do it again? That's a good idea. Yeah. Deep Space Nine. Yeah. Let's. Joel True, my friend. This specific race is getting a lot of attention lately with the huge success of Star Trek Picard. I don't know why I said Deep Space Nine, but it was in there. So I said, Me either. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, uh, we figured we'd. Uh, it was time to look at them more closely. So from their first appearance way back in Balance of Terror to their most recent appearance as Keepers of the Mysterious Artifact, better known as the Borg Cube in Picard, next week we are going to deep dive into the Federation's oldest enemy, the Romulans. On Trek Geeks, flagship podcast with Trek Geek Podcast Network. He's Ron Burgundy. Go bleep yourself, San Diego. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, for more great Star Trek podcasts, we want everyone to check out the Trek Geeks Podcast Network at trekgeeks.com. And of course, for all the news on all the Star Trek CEO, please visit our great friends at treknews.net. For now, this has been episode number 207 of the Trek Geeks Podcast. We do hope you all live long and prosper. Bill. Dan, get in the coconut. That is never going to freaking happen. Never. Music for Trek Geeks is provided by Five Year Mission. They're writing one song for each episode of the original series. Download their music at fiveyearmission.net. Trek Geeks, a Star Trek podcast, is a production of Coconut Media Works. Executive producer, Bill Smith. For even more Star Trek discussion, check out Discovering Trek, a Star Trek Discovery Companion, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and DiscoveringTrek.com. Bing bong! Bing bong. Whoa. <laughs> Got to be, be ready to go. Bang, 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 bang. So for the first time in 207 episodes, you're ready to go. Congratulations. It's always walking into these things. I know. You would think that after 25 years, you wouldn't step on these garden rakes. <sighs> Yet you do. No, but you just keep putting them right in front of me. Because you're dumb enough to step on them. I don't want you to be upset and to be, consider yourself I know. Every excuse you come up with just sounds the same. I don't want you to do that. I'm doing it for you. Yes. I, I, was, I, was I, was, I was taught to love uh, my fellow podcast partner so i just do everything (laughs) that you will be happy and no matter what happens to me so remember that next time you throw a garden rake down at me yeah okay (laughs) hey buddy uh, wow how you doing i'm uh, i'm doing pretty great how are you i'm doing better than i was 15 minutes ago because it was a pretty sucky night before we started recording but now i'm feeling pretty happy because you're with me Anyway, um, <laughs> yes, because you know what? Because I want you to feel good about yourself when you throw that garden rake down. So, yeah, it's all because of you. Well, I'm glad we finally have it recorded for people to hear. <laughs> um, you strike me as being as much of a jerk as Elixis is. I'm just going to throw that out there. I envision you as a cult leader. I'm, I'm not going to say anything until we're actually doing the meat of the episode when it comes to that bitch. <laughs> Wow, rain it in. Oh, oh, that believe me, that's rained in as much as I can. Yeah, I try harder. Uh, no, okay, that unpleasant person. That Dan Davidson. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, wow. It's, it's you, know, you know the sound, you, you, know, you uh, obviously played uh, sp- some you know, gym sports in middle school mm. and high school. Yeah. Remember ball? the days there was dodgeball? Yeah, with the red ball. <laughs> <laughs>
And the sound that that red rubber ball would make when it hit your face, it was like a toing. I actually made a reference to that red rubber ball last week on Twitter. Really? Can you believe that? That's kind of weird that you brought up. Yeah, I was talking that I watched recently um, uh, Broken Link when Odo's getting all gooey. And when he's in sick bay, his hair looks like he's got one of those red rubber balls cut in half, put on his head and painted brown. And then you just brought up the red rubber ball again. Yeah. Wow. Thanks for sharing that. That's uh, that's the kind of insight you're only going to get on the Trek Geeks podcast network. Or on the Twitter. From the lovely and talented Dan Davidson. Trek Geek Dan. Yeah. Yeah, at Trek Geek Dan. Be sure to add him on this one. <laughs> um, that would be fantastic. Um, yeah. So I, I, I would envision you as a cult leader l- trying to lead people to find cheese. I do like cheese. I know you do. Aria and Callie like cheese a lot too. Uh, I I have yet to meet many dogs that don't, but I I know they do like it. I could be a cheese um, uh, pathfinder. Yeah. And I feel, ooh, hashtag cheese pathfinder. And I think that the cheese would talk to you. Because it's been out long or just because it would be magic cheese? No, because it inspires you. It's magic cheese. Magic cheese. Um, You get direction from the cheese. Sometimes it's a nice, you know, um, camembert. Sometimes it's a goat cheese. I don't like I, goat I, cheese. I, I don't either, but maybe that's not, maybe that maybe that goat cheese is like the devil on your shoulder. I'll kill the goat cheese. Whoa, did rain it in. There's not supposed to be so much hate. Sometimes maybe it's a nice sharp cheddar. Oh, yeah, yeah, cheddar, yeah. Maybe uh maybe maybe it's a good old slice of American cheese. I mean, the, American you know, cheese is not cheese. Well, it's called cheese. So oh. All the cheese speaks to you, Dan. I, I can't control that. Cheese pathfinder. <laughs> Hashtag, the, you're the cheese listener. <laughs> oh, my wait, wait. God. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I don't know where you came up with that one. With I don't either. This is completely off the top of my head. How am I going to make an album cover with that one? <laughs> the cheese listener. I'm going to be like with the PC. I'm going to be like, eh. <laughs> Wow! Um, Thank you for that. I, yeah. That's what I do. That's why it's my special talent. I'm gonna have to like get a cabin out in the woods and and with a path <laughs> and write your uh, manifesto. Yeah, yeah, and and then have people follow me as I play a flute and gather the cheese. Wow! Yeah, that's um. Well, it's got to be in a refrigerated container of some kind because it is cheese. Wow. You know, these New Hampshire summers can get pretty warm and humid. Um, you don't want to spoil. Well, and, uh, yeah, that makes it hard, though. Maybe I'll well, have. Forth. That's why this isn't a job for everybody, Dan. It's Maybe a I'll job come for forth you. And, and and invent some kind of uh, moving cold section. I'm sorry, moving cold section. This is your first day with English, right? Oh no, it's just a section of atmosphere that goes with me and is cold. And the cheese can stay. So there. you're going to be a and walking roll. planet riser. Yes. Well, there you go. You control uh, your own weather. Uh, not the no, just the little area. You know, it can be like That's a, what cone I mean. of, a cone of silence, but not silent, just cold. I would love a cone of silence where you're concerned. That would be cold. No, can we have a cone of cold silence? Because no. that would be the ultimate. Right. Start right now. <laughs> Don't tease me, <laughs> you bastard. Ah. <sighs> Another fun, uh, fun episode of Trek Geeks Outtakes brought to you by Cheese. Another 
episode of Trek Geeks ruined by Dan Davidson. Hey, buddy, are you ready to uh, you ready to do this there, Cheese Whisper? I I oh, Cheese Whisper, Cheese Whiz, Cheese Whisper. Ah, see, I see what you did there. Did you not do that? And I did it. Nice. I, I didn't do that. You did it. Break. Yeah. Yeah. Toing. Cheese Whiz is not dangerous. Oh my god, he did it himself. <laughs> I it was preemptive. It was before you could do it, and that's the one for the show. You can't do any now. Uh, that was not part of the agreement. No, that was you. Got one per, there was one. There's one. one per show, and I just did it. Oh, yours was pretty sucky, but uh, but you just uh, it sounded you sounded pretty excited by it. When you listen back to this, you're gonna be like, "Wow, I really thought that was awesome." Mumphrey says I don't listen to my show. So who exactly? <laughs> All right, let's do this, John. All right.